Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushville. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Sound Prince for the week of March 20, 2016. American Council of the Blind President Kim Charlson posted the following message on the ACB leadership list. Kim says, With so many ACB advocacy victories on the accessible prescription front recently, with our legal partners Lainey Feingold and Linda Dardarian, I want to share the link below with all of you. Lainey updated and consolidated all of the releases into one link for ease of access. Please review the information and share it far and wide with your members. And that link is http colon slash slash lflegal, L-E-G-A-L dot com slash 2016 slash 03 slash talking dash label dash 2016 update. Next, we bring you a reminder that there's only a few days that remain for you or someone you know to apply for the DKM First Timer and ACB Leadership Fellow Awards for this year's National Convention. There will be two first-timers and eight leadership fellows chosen to attend the 2016 ACB Conference and Convention in Minneapolis, Minnesota from July 2 through July 9. Each winner will receive round-trip airfare, hotel accommodations based on double occupancy, a stipend for food during the week, and conference registration, DKM first-timer reception, and ACB banquet tickets. The application process is easy. Just write a letter introducing yourself and outlining your participation in your chapter or your state or special interest affiliate. Explain how being a DKM first-timer or leadership fellow will help you become more active on the local, state, or national level. Ask your affiliate or chapter president to write a letter supporting your application. Send letters by email to Kelly Gask in our ACB Alexandria office. Her email is kgask, K-G-A-S-Q-U-E, at acb.org. Although Kentucky is home to several metropolitan areas, it remains a very rural state. Agriculture, in its many forms, was and is a big part of Kentucky's economy. In one way or another, it touches every person in the state and many people beyond our borders. Warren Beaver, Executive Director on Agriculture Policy in Kentucky Governor Matt Bevan's office, spoke to the February 8 meeting of the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. Everyone at the meeting found his remarks extremely informative and interesting, and Adam Rushville has edited his almost hour-long talk for this week's Sound Prints. On page 2, we learn about today's agricultural products, how farming has changed and become more efficient over the years, and research currently underway. While Mr. Beaver's remarks are Kentucky-based, the methods he discusses are found across the country. Many people think tobacco is Kentucky's largest cash crop, but many also say it's really marijuana. For many years, a man named Gatewood Galbraith ran repeatedly for governor of the state, and his platform consisted of one plank, legalizing the growth of hemp in the state. 
Gatewood was laughed at and ridiculed for his views, and he died a few years ago. Now, on page 3, Warren Beaver explains how the legalization of the growth of industrial hemp in the state is a distinct possibility, and how its many uses could have a huge impact on Kentucky's economy. And, of course, anything that improves the economy will ultimately improve the lives of blind people, so we have included his remarks here on Soundprints. Roberta Williams from the American Printing House for the Blind stops by on page 4 to bring us up to date on APH's annual Insights Art Competition. And on page 5 is the Sound Prince calendar. Page 2. I'd like to introduce Warren Beaver. A little piece here that was sent to me. Warren raises cattle and sheep so he knows what it takes to provide the quality care necessary to ensure that the needs of every animal are met. His job as Director of Livestock Marketing Affairs shows that the Kentucky Department of Agriculture provides him with the opportunity to share his knowledge with farmers hoping to sell their livestock to discriminating buyers. Today's farmers may look different than they did a generation ago, but Warren knows that advances in animal science have given farmers the information and tools necessary to provide for the well-being of the animals with the same care and commitment that has guided them for generations. Warren received a degree from Western Kentucky University and continues to serve as an auctioneer at livestock auctions in the region. Welcome. Thank you, sir. I'm going to have to get you an updated version of that. I'm coming up on 34 years married to this, this gal that I pulled out of Hunting Creek Subdivision many years ago and stuck her to the end of dirt road in Caneyville. My dad was telling people she was only six weeks. You know, almost 34 years and five kids later, I still woo her with my weight. So, they're very nice to be here. I think last time I was here, I may have given the pork talk. I'm not sure or, or which talk I gave. I give uh, about 150 talks a year. I We have such a disconnect between the public and the farm. But I will tell you, Department of Ag, six weeks ago I had the perfect job. Working there for the Department Commissioner of Ag and giving these talks and managing the livestock part and people started calling me and the governor's office started calling me. And I uh, made one trip to the governor's office, then I made the second trip to the governor's office, then I made the third trip to the governor's office, and then last two times I was in with the governor. And uh, this position with, with the governor's office of agriculture policy was a position they, they were interested in. I said, I told the governor, I'm really not not looking for a job. I've got the perfect job. He said, that's why you're here. <laughs> and that meant a lot to me. And uh, so it <clears> probably <throat> figured that really wasn't about me. It was about agriculture and the link between agriculture uh, and the governor. So I took a new position. I'm executive director of the governor's office of ag policy. I'm the link between governor and ag. But I'm still going to give my speeches. Because they're, too important, they're too important not to give that way for folks like you that, that maybe you go home and tell somebody about it and then I've done some good you see I want to tell you about what we do Kentucky has 83,000 farms 13.7 million acres of farmland in our state 165 acres per farm did you say big you say your was 187 see so you're bigger than the average farm I got 220 and that's kind of, kind of what we are. We have a bunch of family farms. Six billion dollar industry. And when agriculture's healthy, it's, it makes everything healthy because the money rolls over five, six, seven times in a community. And that makes it really, really good. This money's been really good for us. It has made us figure out what we can do outside of tobacco 
and that how, how can we do it better? So like Al Cross said, my, my quest is, is how we go, how, where do we go from here? How do we figure out how to make this money have maximum impact for this, these new farmers, young farmers, old farmers, agribusiness, rural communities? That's, that's the task. That's the task. I uh, told somebody the other day, you know, I had the perfect job. Had the perfect job. Now every time I sit down, it feels hot, like I may be, may be sitting in the hot seat. <laughs> and uh, I can't handle lazy. Been a state worker for 17 years, and I drove that car in here all by myself. Didn't have to get six of us to get here. So I'm, I'm not going to have that happen. Somebody asked me, where's my schedule? Where's my driver? Well, so I hope they're working somewhere in Frankfurt that way. This governor's office of ag policy is the tobacco money. When they figured out the tobacco would kill you, tobacco companies have to pay based on cigarette sales. And I will tell you, it, uh, it is one of those deals that um, will last forever as long as we sell cigarettes. In Kentucky, what we do is we take half of it and we put it in health care. And in health care, basically, it goes to early childhood development and it goes for cancer research and anything cigarettes might be harmful that way. And that's the deal. Just give you just a breakdown of it. Projection for 2017 is $87 million that the tobacco companies pay to Kentucky. So half of it goes to health care and half of it goes to agriculture. We're the only state to put half up in agriculture. First thing you do, of course, legislators can't leave it alone. It's money. So first thing they did, based on a bunch of bonds that were flight, flight out there putting in water lines and sewer lines and out in the country, they, they basically pay the debt service on that with our money. So they got out of 87 million, they take 24 million right off the top. Then we split it half and half. And then out of that, out of the agriculture half, we got $600,000 that goes to the food bank, which is a really good thing. Trying to figure out things like we were talking about this program for hunters for the hungry and stuff. Anything you can do to get to the food bank feeds hungry people, that's, that's a good thing. I mean, you guys understand it more than most of your selfless people that are giving you your time this club, and that's why I love talking to this type of groups. Then we take $5 million and give it to the conservation districts. Conservation districts do all kinds of environmental cost share type deals in terms of improving um, the area in terms of that with farmers and such like that. Even to the point, dead animal removal. We got a terrible situation when we lost <coughs> the dead animal pickup because of mad cow. Mad cow, end up, we end up having to separate the spinal column and the brain from the rest of the mud and just didn't do it and they wouldn't pick them up anymore. So we went to composting, we went to having to figure out ways where we can dispose of them and people just didn't drag them over the hill where we got disease and all kinds of problems that way. So that's what they do with that, that money. And then I, that, when you get all done, that leaves us with about $25 million out of 87 where we can start in agriculture for 2000. That's a projected budget. Of that, 35% of it goes to the counties. And it goes to the counties. If you all are all farmers, you come and you have to have 50-50 cost share. We've got a county organization that decides who gets the money and a scoring sheet. And we, of course, we're trying this money. is all built around diversifying farmers away from tobacco. Can we do something else? Can we raise cattle? Can we raise hog? Can we raise chickens? Can we raise hay, soybeans, whatever? Based on that scoring sheet, then basically you get your deal. It has to be 50-50, this money versus your money. 
and you have to basically you can't go out and do something you've already done. It's it's seed money, seed money to to, to for investment. It's to make new things. It's to make you take your cattle operation and, for example, we build a place to catch them up, and give them shots, vaccinate them. We might buy you a bull from the standpoint of improving genetics, and you can't believe over the last 15 years how much better the cattle have gotten here in, in Kentucky as a result of this. You might improve forages. You might, just, it could be anything. You might clear land and, and, and sow it down so that it's, it's land that's just more valuable. We're losing, we talked about it a while ago, we lost 22 million acres of farmland in the last 10 years. So we're trying to find every piece of land that we can. So that's the county money. The 65% stays at the state, and that's for statewide projects, regional projects. We were talking about processing plants. We, 15 years ago, we had 12. Now we have 27. Your local food movement, you guys, if you don't know the difference between eating out of a can and eating out of the garden, you should. <laughs> Plain and simple, there's a difference as, as it comes. So the same thing in meats. So we have to have USDA plants in terms of selling product by the piece. And so we've seen them spring up, and we've used this money as cost share money to, to grow that kind of stuff uh, and get it done. Probably the four big projects that come out of the state money are one, Kentucky Proud. Kentucky Proud produced and or processed for both in Kentucky. 86% of the people in this city understand and know <coughs> what Kentucky Proud is, or think they know, plain and simple. We have also Kentucky Beef Network, where we have field people who work with the cattle. We have master, uh, master uh, 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 grazer. We have master marketer. We have master cattlemen where we teach people, get them in the classroom. That may be the best money we spend. It's not somebody teaching farmers, but getting farmers in a classroom like this setting where they learn from each other. Because if you do it, then he'll try it. If he's your neighbor, it's a little bit of a competition. Plain and simple as it gets out there. Then we have the Kentucky Dairy Development Council, which is a deal where there was no representation for dairy, for pokes and milk cows. And they have an organization now, and it's helped with this money. And then we have the Horticulture Council. And then now we, we visited with them this morning at 7.30, and uh, we're having all, all kinds of demand for organic. But we don't have anybody to teach them. So we're going to take some of this money and convert it over to somebody who, if you want to be organic, we're going to come to your farm and lay it out for you and say, here's how to do it. Department of Ag certifies, but they're so busy certifying that they don't have time to be teachers. So that's the big four. We get into the deal, and part of this money, I will tell you, has, uh, has it's been spent on things that we took chances with. We built a catfish processing plant down in Murray, Mayfield. 400 acres of catfish, not enough to keep a process. You're going to run a processing plant, you've got to run it wide open every day, all the time. And this guy's got to manage them with their heart, not their head. And they wouldn't go to Arkansas, wouldn't go to Mississippi and get fish to keep it working. So we end up with a processing plant that didn't make it. But we end up 400 acres of catfish. But guess what we do with it now? Instead of selling two-pound fish, we take them to four or five or six, and we sell them to pay lakes. We got people running up and down the roads delivering fish to pay lakes <laughs> out of the steel. Interesting how well, even when you fail, you succeed. You see, <laughs> a little bit in that part of it. Uh, ethanol plant down in Hopkinsville. We've worked, last three years, we've spent more corn that's gone into ethanol production than it has livestock feed. 
first time in <clears> history. <throat> in that plant, it's a cooperative now, with seed money from this Ag Development Fund, it basically owes in. Now there's 3,300 farmers in that deal. You know what they got? You know what? Break even on corn per bushel is probably somewhere in the neighborhood of $3.50, 60 $0.70. Last year, corn was three forty. Guess what the premium they got back by being part of that cooperative ethanol plant? $0.78 cents a bushel. Difference between making it and not making it. 3,300 farmers working together. We also got the, the, the mill. The mill down there makes flour. Siemens Milling Company. Same kind of thing. Now, there's, there's, because success breeds success, we see them coming to, to central Kentucky to get more wheat, start a new plant. So the other part of our deal is the energy program. We put $500,000 in an energy program. A lot of our chicken houses are getting to be 20 years old. And what they do is now they'll take the curtains off that chicken house and put metal on it and spray foam insulation inside to tighten them up. They got tighter and tighter as the years must get airflow. It's amazing. We can produce a bird now in 42 days, weighing five to seven pounds. And they're so healthy and so fat, they want organic feed. So they don't give any antibiotics, any of that stuff. It just doesn't fit this new consumer. So you make them, make them work. Plain simple. So uh, we do that kind of stuff. Cost share again, but they use our money. Anything that's, that will save, save electricity, save energy, they can use our energy program. Then we have. $55 million that over the year has been put into the loan program. And you want to you want to buy a piece of land, all right? We will take a second position behind your lender with a 2% loan to help you, first off, get the loan if you're a young farmer, and second off, lower your interest rate so it's easier to pay it back. And so we work with the lender. And so we got, out of $55 million, we got all of it, but about $5 million loaned out. And so it it's doesn't do any good sitting in Frankfurt if it's not working for farmers or working for rural communities, doing whatever it needs to be. Chia. Anybody know the Chia pet? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Chia seeds. Got a project seeds. in Franklin, Simpson County, where the guys raising oh, chia cool. seeds. Sierra companies want it in there. You know what they do? Chia holds five times as much water as a regular seed. They give them to soldiers in Afghanistan because it hydrates them later in the day. Sewer companies want them. Goldenrods. We always thought goldenrods was a weed. <laughs> Going out in the pasture field, but when they squeeze them, they're full of natural flavors instead of artificial flavors. Canola. We got a new canola plant in Kentucky, in Todd County. I walked, drove there. I was in Tree County last night speaking. And I've seen some of the, some of the rows of almost looks like hills. The way the thing is, even in the wintertime, as it's done. Sumac. Everybody ever heard of sumac? Yeah. That's a bush we've been trying to kill for twenty years, thirty years, hundred years. Yeah. It's full of tannins. Tannins that are in all kinds of diet foods, natural dewormer for livestock. But the tannins that when you squeeze and you get all tannins, that's that's where we're headed. It's amazing how God created all these things and took us a long time to figure out the use for them. We got a lot to learn. Let's give you an example my last my last week. I wrote this down so you guys we built a took this money and built a ham house for Owen County. We have a new program in Washington County called New Generation where we take the young farmers because they're not tobacco dependent and they have trouble scoring high enough and they're and typically young farmers aren't full time farmers because they're they're having to have a job to support their habit. 
So we moved them to the front of the line, put half the money, and then we run the other program, same program in behind, new generation. Mezzanets, Kentucky Mezzanets. Anybody know what that is? When you guys look at channel 32 or 3 or 41 or whatever one you look at in the morning, 11, and they see Caneyville, don't you see Caneyville, Litchfield, it's 32 degrees? There's not some old boy sitting around saying, reading the thermometer. It's Mezzanets, weather stations, 68 of them all over the state. What they did, they built them, then they didn't give them any operating money. It's out of Western Kentucky University. And their software is fixed to go black by the end of the year. So we do, we put up $105,000 and say for every dollar you match, you can get up to $105,000 to build new software. We're going we're gonna to redo those completely, put moisture probes in them and everything where we can predict drought better for our farmers and do some things like that. So the mezzanets, uh, beekeepers, probably of all the things we have in agriculture, water is one, most important ingredient. Bees may be two. The association doesn't have, we need to figure out what we can do to propagate bees <coughs> in eastern Kentucky. They want to put projects in the mountains. We'd love that. We love that. So we, we begged them to come. You said that there's, we're losing acreage and everything. What are we losing that to? Subdivisions, things of that nature? I mean, everything. I mean, you ever see a time when, when people, you know, when I was a kid and you retired, you moved to town. Now people move to the country and they get five acres, ten acres. You know, there's a big discussion in, in Lexington about having 10 acres and not farming it and not and, and being exempted, agri having agriculture exempted. Now they're fixed to fix that. You either, you either are farming it or you're going to pay the tax on it. And, I mean, that farmland around Lexington, you know, you can imagine what that's worth. It's off the charts. So that's how we're losing a lot of it. I mean, urban sprawl and, and uh, that kind of thing. And, and uh, you know, for the most part, we still got some land that we can capture as such. But you got wetlands and lands, you know, that are really protected from a wildlife refuge standpoint that we need to leave alone if, if we can help it. And, and you know, we put the animals, the dairy, the chickens and the hogs that moved inside the buildings. Those buildings are so good now. It's just off the chart how healthy they are and how high they perform. And we did it. I started out as an old hog farm in the mud hole. A zero is zero. was 100 is 100. You couldn't keep them healthy. And now it's just off the charts how fast they grow and how well they do. Can we do the same thing with plants? And you, what you do, you move inside, what you got? No bugs and no weeds. Did you see the press release last week? Kroger has announced in two to three years they're going to quit buying eggs from farmers that have chickens cooped up in a house. 95% right. right. of the chicken, the eggs produced today are in cages. They're in cages. To protect the chickens from each other, not not for any other reason, because they peck and they peck and kill each other. You know, it's like the hog. We did the hogs that way. Same things happened to the hog deal. We 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 started loose housing those sows because the pressure from from a lot of the animal rights group put us that way. When we did it, we were we were turning over about five percent of the sows when we had them in the stalls. They just adjusted so well. When we turned them loose, we lost twenty percent. After taking off the most aggressive ones and the most timid ones for six years, we got down to 11%. Well, where are they going to buy the exactly? Yeah, see, California was the first to do it. And so we're gonna, they're going to lose housing. You know what is interesting? Some of the pressures are going to put pressure on us to do different things. Disposition. Think about it. The people who have got the calmest cows in the world, guess who they are? The dairy guys. Why? 
because they milk them two or three times a day, and then they come in and they kick you every time you milk them, you get rid of them. Disposition is 35% heritable. So can we, in the chicken meal, loose house, loose house these chickens and, and get them to the point where they leave each other alone? That's, you know, we'll learn. We're going to adjust. Maybe get Whatever some Prozac. <laughs> I think you'd have a little trouble telling them age. That's going to happen. I think it may be too expensive for a while, but you get volume. You know, hemp as a feed feed grade is terrific. I mean, really, really healthy stuff. So our job is is science. Here's what we're into. Science says yes. We're doing a great job of all these breakthroughs and everything. Public says no means no. So we adjust and we adapt and we, we do what you want. I, my wife hurt her foot the other day in the tore that plantar fasciitis leak. She thought she's young again trying to run a 5k with her sister. Not a chance. Somebody said yeah, of course we live on hope. You can imagine if it's got the rain to make a living how much we live on hope. So we know it's next year. Why is the Department of Agriculture sticker on the fuel pumps instead of something like transportation? 75% of the Department of Ag is regulatory. They do the gas pumps. You know, when, when I, I told John earlier, I said it took 16 months to check the gas pumps and nobody was checking them, really. Now they get checked in less than four. So we take those same people and we take them over to Walmart and we check 130 items at the, at the counter and then when you scan out, you've got to be within 2% and then you've got to fix it. So we do pesticides, we do lime, we do teen, teen smoking is part. 75% of the Department of Ag is regulatory. Consumer Protection Division, you know. You don't ever hear about it, which is good amusement rides. I sat on the, on the committee when we were hiring. They wouldn't let me sit on many because I knew too many people, you know. And they, when you're mayor, hiring mayor people, if you know anybody, they won't let you sit. You just can't imagine what all the Department of Ag does. Why is it transportation? I don't know. But it's always been Department of Ag. Well, yes. I, was, I was thinking you kind of had a mix there. With, I know you're not in charge of potholes. No, no, no. <laughs> we didn't do that. <laughs> but, but those milk trucks going across all those potholes, it'd probably come out as milkshakes. Yeah. <laughs> Butter, you know. <laughs> it's hot. No, it's milk's cold. It's cold and good for you. You, you guys seen the latest research? Whole milk. Is one of the healthiest foods you can be. Way better than 2% or skim or any of them others because the dairy fat so good for you. And now I cannot get my wife on Sunday when I'm following her through there. I don't shop. I just push the cart. <laughs> she won't eat. The only thing she doesn't shop for is milk. Just picks down and grabs that blue jug. I said, let's try a red one. Let's try a red one. No. <laughs> in, end of, end of, question, end of yeah. conversation. Page three. Out of them at work, probably the best plant, to give you an example, putting county money, you guys all represent counties. 19 counties went together and give five, let's see, $285,000. And then we put, state put 250000 with it, $535,000 to a hemp processing plant in Winchester. So no tobacco seed, you know Rickers Tobacco Seed Warehouse? Converted to the hemp, processing hemp seed in cooperation with with the plant in Canada, so that's probably one of the best examples of where we took county money. Farmers sitting on these committees decided it was it's hard to get county money to cross that county line. It's it's for our farmers and our county. 
And so when you do that, you basically really, really help. And so this year, guess how many acres of hemp we're proposing to plant? Four to five thousand acres. I'm hoping, I'm hoping it's got a chance. It's really, really amazing. And then hemp. Twenty-four processors have moved in here. We got people in Jefferson County moved in here from Montana that's putting hemp fibers in concrete because it's lighter and stronger. Toyota came over to the office the other day and wanted to build their side panels and their dashboards out of hemp because it's stronger. BMW's already doing it. Stronger and lighter than metal or plastic. Could make anything out of it. We have built a $2.4 million processing plant. We're only doing research and education. They could stop, the federal government could stop it tomorrow. But you know what's interesting? The people that are least afraid of hemp and only see it as a crop, they don't see it as something marijuana. Mm -hmm. People like my dad, who grew it as a kid, made rope out of it in World War II, that kind of thing. It's just a crop. People associate it with marijuana, and what it is, it's three-tenths of one percent THC. Real low, where marijuana must be 20 or 30 percent, all right? What you see is this. One guy asked the other day at a at testifying CIA guy said, "Can you?" And one of the legislators asked, "Can you get high smoking hemp?" He said, "I guess you could, but you'd have to smoke a telephone pole." In the <laughs> so you might get a headache before you got there. <laughs> this, this hemp thing is really, really intriguing. You can make anything out of it, and it's really from a health food. The most lucrative one of all is when THC is high, CBD is low. We had people come from Colorado. Why would people come from Colorado to get CBD? Because when, when in hemp, CBD, the stuff for the seizure medicine, the cancer research, mm -hmm. is a lot higher in hemp than it is in marijuana. Hmm. So they're here. They're one of the 24. That's probably squeeze the whole plant. So we got a lot of work to do. Two things kill us in the hemp deal. <coughs> one is it's got to make money. And guess what? We produce, on average last year, a 1,000 pounds of seed to the acre at 70 cents. It's $700 an acre. We had as high as 1,600 pounds. Corn at 200 bushel of the acre, $3 is $600. $350 is $700. We get $150 worth of fertilizer because hemp goes deeper and gets nutrients deeper in the ground where it costs us $500 to put out an acre of corn. So profitability-wise, we got a shot. Second thing is you got to do is you gotta, you got to GPS it so the state police know if it's not in our GPS, you cut it down. All right? Second thing is you got to test it. Because you can grow marijuana right in with it. And it'll be marijuana. So you test it. If it tests over that three-tenths, you cut it down. You with me? All you got to do. If the government gets more involved than that, it won't work. My best slide, my hemp talk. One acre of hemp will produce as much paper as four acres of trees. One acre of hemp produces as much paper as four acres of trees. It takes 150 days to grow the hemp. It takes 20 years to grow the trees. In agriculture, where we're trying to produce more with less, why doesn't that make sense? You know where Commissioner Comer was about three weeks before his term ended? He was in Washington, D.C. Guess who was talking to him? Department of Treasury about printing money on hemp paper because the Declaration of Independence was on hemp paper. So we got a lot to learn. I, you can go on the hemp thing, there's a zillion. You know, I, uh, that's how I started giving my talks is I, I called Canada. Canada had 50,000 acres four years ago, now they got 100,000 acres. We buy it all. So The seed. The seed. The well, seed. no, seed, fiber, anything. 75% oh. of the value in Canada is in the seed. They have hemp hearts, 
uh, oils they squeeze out of the seed. You know, it's seed as seed now because of, of us. You know, we're going to plant five. Now, you there. said Toyota had come and talked. Are they now getting him from Canada? No, no. They're, they're, they just, they, they come to show us. I mean, it's just this amazing. Is what we oh, everything's being it. driven from the marketplace backwards. Okay. Not from the farm up. <clears throat> that's and that's what made I So everybody's coming in saying, we need it. Yeah. We, we got a guy in Rockcastle County that's putting in wool making clothes. I was in Murray State the other day, and, and Dr. Brandon, who's dean of the College of Ag, he says, Beeler, guess what my tie's made of? <laughs> it ain't on a hemp tie. So, you know, it's a little bit, little bit chicken or the egg. What we want to be in Kentucky, what we want to be is first. Wouldn't it be nice? And you know, when we get on those calls with all those other department of ags around, we get all the hemp calls because we're the one that stepped up and tried it first. 33 acres the first year. Nine, 922 acres a second year, and this year talking almost 5,000. Yeah. Isn't the government restrictive on that? They, they limit how much? What they've done, they allow us to get, do pilot projects if we did what we did with Senate Bill 50, and that was exempted from the Substance Abuse Act. There's nine states that have done it, but we're the only ones that have stepped up and went to work on it. And it's killing the Department of Ag. Can you imagine all the plots of 5,000 acres? You've got to go, you take your phone and GPS it. But then the testing is $75 a test. So, yeah, it could be pulled out of Munners tomorrow. And that, but the thing about people that are in it, they're convinced it's got so much, so much clout now. The scope of it is such that it's, it's going to go. Are these some small farmers in it, or is like Monsanto come in? And no, no, it's all. Uh, well, I, I, I keep Monsanto. From you're not. You're not. I mean, and I don't know that we. I tell you, if, you know, I, I hear all the things about Monsanto. The plain simple fact is that Monsanto is one of the reasons we've made so much progress. Mm -hmm. We need somebody to come in and, you know, you're talking about a hemp seed that has had no genetic work, no improvement. It's been a niche market for, for now 50 years. We need somebody to come in. Dr. Williams at UK has got it in the lab, and he's trying to figure out the seed varieties. And you just want seed varieties aren't getting that tall now. And then the hemp varieties get 15 foot tall. Mm -hmm. So we go and specialize, just like we have with the other crops. So right now, what we see is companies. The seed company, Altoa, that owns the processing plant in Winchester, they're contracting with probably 1,000 acres with farmers. And farmers, they sign a contract with them. And you don't go out and go, you're going to go hemp? You go get with one of these people that you've got a place to sell it. Because right now, if you just grow hemp, you might not have any place to sell it. So you get one of these 24 processors. <coughs> you work with them. And that's, you know, my neighbors in Breckenridge County have them. And that's what you do. So, uh, <coughs> uh, you know, yeah. Is Monsanto going to get hooked up? Well, yeah. That, that's, mm -hmm. that's part of the farming. It could be a good thing if, if we could jar the sink, we can go for a thousand pound of seed to 2,000. You see what I'm saying? Then it, it would blow corn out of it. It would blow corn and beans out of the, out of the water mm -hmm. from the standpoint. And you know what it is? It's such a good... You know what UofL's doing? Brown fields. They used hemp around Chernobyl to pull toxins and heavy metals out of the ground. So they're using it. UofL's project is brown fields. The other night, Fern, Fern Creek, a lady asked me, Mr. Beeler, she said, what do you do with all them toxins once you get them in them hemp? in them plants. I said, ma'am, I'm old enough to know it's okay not to know everything. <laughs> I said, all we got to do then is said, at least we can burn it when it's not in the ground. We can move it, we can burn it, we can do something with it, but it's not in the ground. So we think hemp would be a great rotational crop because it goes, the root system goes so deep 
that it breaks the ground. We know we can build soil if we got live roots growing. That's why you, you don't you drive in the country now. You don't see ground that's not covered. It's got a cover crop on it because all the time those seeds are alive. You got microbes and bacteria and earthworms working that soil. What we're doing is we're taking off a tremendous yield at the same time, building soil health at the same time. Next year matters just as much as this year. If you think you can take off a big crop and ruin that soil, you're you're kidding yourself. We don't think that way. Let me ask you about this. Uh, did you say 87 million comes from tobacco companies, and, and is is that agreement? That's that agreement's that's years old now. But does that go on forever? Yes. As long as, it, as, as, long as we've got cigarette sales, it's not based on. Well, that's what I was wondering. Is that yeah. been going down? I mean, fewer people yeah. smoke, right? But I mean, fewer yeah, people, people smoke, so the money. What's interesting is, is the this. money going down. Yeah, what I say, 87 million for 2017. You know what 2018 projection is? Hmm. 92. Really oh, Smoking's so going down, but guess what happens in Kentucky? We got the lowest cigarette tax of anybody around. So what do you think Indiana people do? Come, come across here and buy cigarettes. Guess who gets the money? Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you. We're selling so it's based on the cigarettes <laughs> in sell. Tennessee and okay. Ohio, and you know, and I, and, and yeah. you know, my my father-in-law, he, he he's. A good a man as you'd ever see in this world. He says to me, Why would we be raising something that kills people? Makes a really good point. Hard to argue with that. But the plain simple fact is we don't hold the gun to anybody's head and make them smoke. And at the same time, I just we just passed the deal today in the legislature where the research people at UK, you know, the Ebola vaccine came from the back. There's got to, we can raise the back. It fits our soil type like nobody else. We've got to figure out how to get something else out of tobacco besides tobacco. Well, didn't, didn't they have like 200 or more different compounds that they found in tobacco? Oh, yeah. A lot of which are very good things and some are toxic. Yeah. I mean, you got is it, we got is it you can't figure out what to do with them yeah. or you can't get them separated? Yeah, no, and that's what all the research is right now. I mean, it's, I mean, it's wild. Gosh, it's no telling. You know, it's just like sumac and chia and... Who knows what we might be doing in 20 or 30 years from now, things that we don't even know. Weeds. Weeds that we thought were just the most useless thing in the world could turn Damn out to be the are fix. the best thing in the world. That's the thing about agriculture. We're doing it better than we've ever done. Don't let anybody kid you. We're producing more with less, and, and, and the animals and the water and the land is being taken care of better than it's ever been in any time. Managing nutrients, that's what we do. But Plain and simple fact is we never satisfied, and then as as we adjust, we adjust, we figure out how to do it. So never satisfied, never ever. It's a fun time. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Page four. I'm talking with Roberta Williams from the American Printing House for the Blind. Roberta visits with us this time of year to talk about the APH Insights Art Competition. Welcome, Roberta. Well, thank you for having me so we can remind people about the competition and let them know what's going on. Tell us what the competition is in case we have some listeners who don't know. It's called the APH Insights Art Competition, and it's a, an art contest for people who are blind or visually impaired and it's international in scope. So we get entries from all over the country and occasionally from elsewhere. 
Last year, for instance, some people from Latvia entered the contest. Oh, how fun. So that was exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we get about between three and 400 entries every year. Mm-hmm. And I just like to come this time of year to kind of remind people that the deadlines are coming up. Right. What uh, the, the contest, in terms of what, what you can enter, I know people say, oh, well, what can I do this, can I do that? The first qualification is that you do have to be qualified for the vision status of at least legally blind, 20 over 200 with correction, kind of the standard uh, uh, definition. And then the art that you create has to be original, and it can be almost any medium. I don't know if any anything that we've turned down, mm-hmm. but the, the traditional media, tr- paintings, drawings, uh, I'm looking at some, I'm in a room with several pieces hanging on the walls, and there's a, a car made of clay. There's a head carved out of stone, and there's a, uh, a strange enigmatic figure with braids on its head made of clay. So it can be three-dimensional pieces or two-dimensional flat pieces. It could be a weaving. We've had people send nice weavings. Mm-hmm. So what is the most unusual piece do you think you've ever received? Well, one of the most unusual, we've had a couple that I could name. One of them uh, was by uh, some children because the the people who enter can be almost any age. Uh, We've had preschoolers enter. We've had uh, one of the pieces I'm looking at right now, carved stone, was made by a 90-year-old person who only took up stone carving uh, in his 90s. So so any age group, but one of the most interesting came from a group of children at the Arkansas School for the Blind. They had learned how to make their own handmade paper, and they put together this paper in the form of a hanging dragon. He's about 12 feet long and 5 feet wide and perhaps uh, 4 feet tall, And he's made like one of those, if you've ever seen a Japanese kite, where they have flat circles that are linked together with strings. Mm -hmm. So he he kind of extends out and his tail twists and he has cellophane uh, fire coming out of his his head. So he was unusual. Oh, goodness. Um, Did he win a prize? Well, he did win a prize. Oh, good. Um, we, we don't, most of the entries are by individual artists, and, and that's the way the contest was designed. But as I said earlier, we kind of are accommodating, and this uh, group wanted to enter, and that was fine. So they did get first prize in their age group. Mm-hmm. Uh, they each, there are nine categories of judging, three for adults, and the rest are for children below college level. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a first, second, and third prize in each of those categories. Mm-hmm. And then the first first cut of the prizes, in a way, is just having your work judged by and accepted to be on display at the exhibition. Mm-hmm. Because once these entries are turned in to us, we have three judges from the Louisville area, from the art community, select from, if let's say we have 400 pieces, they would select approximately 80 pieces to be put on display, and they would be shown to the public in October at what's the annual meeting of APH's um, people in the field of blindness that come to Louisville once a year. Mm-hmm. So, so you get an award, a prize, but you also 
get the work on exhibit for the public to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the awards are small cash awards and a ribbon. And the people that win the prizes are invited to come to a dinner at this annual meeting and receive their prizes in person. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of an exciting event. Uh, but but as I said, the first level of, of award in a way is having the judges look at three or four hundred pieces and then saying, "Well, your work is good enough to have included in the exhibit." And then from you know that's, and then that's from the there the prizes. Then from there you mm-hmm. go to the other prizes. Mm-hmm. And do people um, do a number of people come to receive their awards? Last year we had perhaps seventeen of the artists from around the country. Oh, there was there was one Louisville artist. Who, who was in the exhibit, a young young girl mm-hmm. um, from uh, Brown School. Mm-hmm. And, and so we had a, a Louisville person, but then we had people from, let's see, I think we had someone from New York and someone from Ohio, several from Ohio, mm-hmm. because the if you're familiar with Clovernook, yes. uh, Clovernook has uh, uh, classes for adults, mm-hmm. and they frequently enter the exhibit, and they will get together and drive down if any of their people win awards. So mm-hmm. uh, we had that. And then one of the people from Latvia actually flew to the United States. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that was the first time. We've had international entries before, but it is the first year that one of the international entrants actually came. They were always invited, but I was surprised, too, and it was just delightful to have them here. Oh, I'm sure. And one of the neat things about the having... Uh, getting to, to come to the award ceremony and, and the big dinner, which is, is for this meeting is pretty big. So there may be 300 people at this dinner, mm-hmm. and those people see you receiving your award. But I think one of the nicest things is talking to other artists about you know what, what they do in their art so the artists get to mingle together a little bit that they might not be able to do otherwise. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, what is the deadline for entry? The deadline, there are two deadlines. The deadline for young people uh, below college level is actually March 31st. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, March 25th. That's Mm -hmm. a week from this Friday. Mm -hmm. And for adults, it's a little bit later. It's April the 1st. Okay. So, uh, and and you can find information. You do have to have an uh, entry form you fill Mm -hmm. out, and you are going to send that in with your artwork, or adults don't have to send the actual artwork for judging. They Mm -hmm. can send a sly, a digital image, Mm -hmm. and then once it's juried, if the judges think it's good, then they have to send the original artwork. But you you get this off our website, which is www.aph.org, and there's a link on that page that will take you to the forms and rules. Mm-hmm. Now, how many years has this been going on? You know, this is the 25th anniversary. Oh, my so goodness. it's been going on for a quarter of a century. But also, um, it it can be said that uh, with that long history, continuous history of running the art competition, that, you know, if, if you're just finding out about the art com- competition and you don't have time to get something in this year, uh, you can begin planning for next year's competition because the deadlines come up about the same time every year. The rules are about the same every year. And so you can start planning and, and yeah, getting I, pieces I together. Hope, I would hope they would start actually making because I right. think 
that you want to have several by between now and next year, hopefully you'd have several pieces of art, and then you choose the one that's best to enter. Exactly. Just, yeah, just mm-hmm. trying to make it just for that thing. Right. So, uh, that's so right. yeah, we, we, that's right. we'd love to have everybody enter who can. Mm-hmm. Roberta, let's give your phone number so if people have any questions, they okay. can call and talk to you about it. My direct line is area code 502-899-2357. Five zero two eight nine nine two three five seven. That's right. All right. Well, all of the creative people out there that are listening, let's get busy and either get items in this year. There's still time, or begin working on items for next year and start planning. And 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 it, a person might want to enter in several different types or categories. Well, actually, of art. actually, they can't. Actually, we should oh. have said that you okay. can only have one entry. Oh, one entry you per have person. To choose. So yes, okay. one per person. So okay. if you are going to have a, uh, well, you, you can only have one. So you right. have to. If you're if you're a painter and a sculptor, you're going to have to choose which one of those is the one you enter. Right. Right. Okay. Well, thank you so much, and hope you have lots and lots of great entries this year. And looking forward to hearing we always do. about you know, the it's kind winners. Of, it's like Christmas, we open these boxes. <laughs> And and then there these things are. It's just such a wonderful surprise. So um, I hope to see even more this year. Yeah, sounds like lots of fun. Thank you so much, Roberta. Okay, thank you, Carla. Find books and more in accessible media with APH's free of charge Louis database. HTTP colon slash slash L-O-U-I-S dot A-P-H dot org. Locate accessible educational materials from nearly 200 different agencies. APH products and textbooks can also be located using Louis. New extended searching now available with free Louis Plus. Visit soon. HTTP colon slash slash L-O-U-I-S dot A-P-H dot org. Many book materials help Braille users jot notes quickly. Pull APH's mini-book Braille binder out of your pocket and begin to write on the mini-book slate in just seconds. Materials are sold separately so that you can choose the combination that's right for you. Call the American Printing House for the Blind, toll-free, 800-223-1839, or visit www.aph.org. Page 5. The Sound Prince Calendar. On March 25, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its next roundabout. There will be education and technology with Braille, tech tips, and family trees from 3.30 to 5, a fundraising Avon party from 5 to 6, dinner, $5 a person, from 6 to 7, and games, crafts, and music from 7 to 10. To sign up, call... 502-895-4598. And of course, the roundabout is held at the United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. On March 28, the Guide Dog Users of Kentucky will hold its next membership call at 7 p.m. on the conference line at 605-475-6006. Enter code 294444. In April, there will be a roundabout on April 1, but it's no fooling. There will be education and technology from 3.30 to 5, a fun trivia game 
where we'll get to know others at the roundabout a little better from 5 to 6, dinner from 6 to 7, and games and crafts from 7 to 10. Call 895-4598 to sign up. April 1 to 3 is the Kentucky School for the Blind short-term retreat weekend for visually impaired students in grades 6 to 12 who do not currently attend KSB. The theme is the game of life with a focus on independent living skills. It's at the Kentucky School for the Blind, 1867 Frankfurt Avenue in Louisville. For more information, call the school at 502-897-1583. On April 3, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its committee meetings for the month of April. 7 p.m. is the Advocacy Committee, 8 p.m. Education and Technology, and 9 p.m. Activities, 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. On April 6, the KCBPR Membership Committee will meet at 8 p.m., on the same conference line. On April 7, ACB Lions will hold its next membership conference call. The meeting will be at 9 p.m. and the conference call is 712-432-3900 and the code is 796096. On April 8, the Louisville East Lions Club will have its spring chili supper, 4.30 to 7 p.m. at St. Leonard's Church, 440 Zorn Avenue in Louisville. For more information, contact Debbie Dethridge at 502-895-5895. Also on April 8th, GLCB will have its next roundabout, and we will be having carryout for dinner from the Louisville East Lions Club. Other activities will be announced. 3.30 to 10 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. April 9 is the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Board Meeting at 11 a.m. on the conference line at 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. On April 10, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will hold its fourth annual fundraising Sea Cruise, S-E-E-C-R-U-I-S-E, from 5 to 9 p.m. Live music by Conk Republic at the Banners Bar and Grill, 3650 Boston Road in Lexington. Information, 859-259-1834. On April 10, KCB's Next Generation Chapter for Individuals 40 and Under will hold its conference call meeting at 8 p.m. The call-in number is 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. On April 12, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, SAVVY, will have its next meeting from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time. The topic is Emergency Preparedness. It's at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. For information, call Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418. On April 14, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will have its conference call meeting at 7 p.m. at 605-475-4700. The code is 155619. On April 15 is the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Spring Quarterly Meeting and Elections. Ask the Lawyer and Other Activities at 5 p.m. Dinner at 6.30 and a... Business meeting and elections will also be included. A bargain table will precede the meeting and program. 
For more information, call 502-895-4598. And on April 16, there will be a Louisville Industrial Tour. From 9 a.m. to 12.30 p.m., this is a bus tour of significant industrial sites in Louisville, starting at the historic 1883 building of the American Printing House for the Blind. This is sponsored by the APH Museum. Tickets are $25 per person, and reservations must be made by April 8. This is best for older children and adults. For more information, call the APH Museum at 502-899-2213. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind, or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598. Or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.